No, 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 no. Like, no, no. The, there is a more important story here as well. The phone charger that he stole doesn't fit his phone. Okay, that's just <laughs> Is that true? That's true. That's that was amazing. in the report. That's so amazing. He borrowed the phone charger, then got annoyed that it didn't fit his phone, and then stole so it. keep it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if something doesn't work, I want to keep it. That is... Fuck it, that's ridiculous. Oh, God. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We've got a couple of stories from around the league, a big look in-depth at the excellent Pro Bowl that just happened and all the skill games that are attached, a couple of questions from you, the listener, and then on to, what's this thing, the, the Superb Owl? Uh, I, I think it's the, 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 the pretend game that follows on from the Pro Bowl. Yes, for people who didn't get into the Pro Bowl. Ah, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, not one of them got into the Pro Bowl. Hey, so we've got Connor here, we got Harry. How you doing? And we got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Ah, uh, grand. Uh, so the last few days just reading about Ireland's terrible landlords, who we all knew were terrible, but turned out to be even more terrible than we previously imagined. As far as I'm aware, Paul Howard is still barricading himself into that apartment and won't come out. So. Oh, yes, yes. This is the guy who uh, he's had several judgments against him as a landlord because he tried to like illegally evict tenants and charge them more and cut them off from electricity. So he decided his solution was to literally chop down part of the door, storm the place with seven or eight big heavy lads to turf everyone out, and is now barricading himself into the house while the police ask him to please leave. Yep, it's going swimmingly. This is what happens when you let Freeman buy property. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's it's certainly an interesting one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, it's just how toothless the things that protect uh, tenants are in Ireland. And the fact that he, like, it's funny because they, they found out he was a Freeman because of the checks he gave people to refund their uh, deposits and stuff were from a fake bank okay. that the Freeman claim is a real bank. Okay. They're Interesting. mental. I pre- mental. D- did he store his money in that pretend bank? I I don't... Th- I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it might explain why he desperately needs access to the property. <laughs> uh, what about yourself, Roland? How's all down south? Uh, bit quieter. No... Uh Tenants being evicted as far as well, not the moment anyway. There's one of those going on down in Cork now, isn't there? I think it was like one of those massive refurbishments uh, yeah, in one of those apartment blocks. Refurbishments. But, uh, mm. Yeah, but it's much warmer down here, so it's grand, like, you know. Yeah. So. It's, actually, <laughs> it's not too bad up here at the moment. The, the cold snap seems to be broken, but if ever we might have some more on the way. Yeah, we quite enough for myself. I had uh, the, the, the two sets of parents met each other last weekend, went well. Happy days. Uh, Although, geez, it was a fucking nightmare trying to find a pub in Temple Bar because there's both Temple Bar on the weekend and the Trad Festival was on, so every pub was twice as full as it normally would be. Oof. Like, it was just a mess. So we just, like, we had dinner and then we got out of town and had a drink somewhere else, which was, uh, which was a good shout. And now I'm just in preparations for a Super Bowl party, so fun times. Uh, I suppose we'll fly in. We've got a couple of stories to get through this week. First up, uh, oh my god. Is that, is that some entrance music I hear? Oh, it's Vince McMahon! Uh, he's coming in, he's restarting the XFL. It's back uh, soon. Uh, we so, can't have to play the entrance music because we don't want to get sued. <laughs> he's coming in with the steel chair. Uh, yeah, so Vince McMahon has decided that now is the optimum time to restart the XFL. We mentioned this on a previous podcast. Uh, he's given us a little bit more detail now. The plan is to kick off the season in 2020. Uh, they're going to start with eight teams. They haven't decided on venues, but obviously places like Oakland and places like maybe um, St. Louis will be places to start as they have 
no team and stadium infrastructure and stuff sitting there. He wants to try and simplify rules like the catch rule so it's not so difficult for people to understand. He wants two-hour games. He doesn't want any criminals, which is kind of difficult given that most of the players that are going to want to play in this league or the NFL will probably have reasons that they're not playing in the NFL, and those are quite a low bar. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. What do we reckon? Like we've, we've often said that there is a need for some kind of feeder league or second tier system for the NFL because there's players who need development there's only there's only a tiny percentage make it from the college game I'm not sure this is necessarily going to provide it but like what's your, what's your initial feeling about this XFL offering well I don't firstly I don't know if it provides a feeder league because like, only a tiny percentage of players make it there's, there's a reason only a tiny percentage of players make it the NFL is, is a very small sport it's the same as baseball or basketball or any sort of the college games that then get translated into professional in America um so I guess this could be somewhere that second-tier talent will go, but immediately I think you're dealing with a situation of this is not going to be a high, necessarily high-quality product if these are the guys who don't necessarily get picked up. Um, to be honest with you, it's this is weird. Like, this is really weird. The 2020 announcement makes sense. CBA negotiations, McMahon is betting on a lockout. I just, I just oh, look I at... thought of that. There you go. Yeah, there you go. He's, he's betting on a player striking a lockout and being able to provide uh. this as an alternative product. If not to pick up players, which would obviously might be a bit more difficult, but certainly... Viewers. Viewers, um, if, if there's an out, a stoppage in the in the league. But this is weird. Like, all those rules you mentioned, when you think about them for a minute, how do you have a two-hour-long game of football? Like, how do you... And, and you want to sell this as a commercial venture. The reason football is so long is the breaks of the commercials and so on. How is he going to make money? Now, there's talk of the streaming model and stuff, but at this point, it, this feels like a stunt right now. I don't think there's a... I, personally, I don't feel like there's a huge amount of substance to this. Everything feels a bit wacky, a bit like there's no criminals, no people who've been... Uh, you know, We won't have people who kneel for the anthem, all this kind of shit. And it's like, this just seems like McMahon is... There's something else here going on. What if it's an elaborate storyline play for the WWE and that this is purely to set up, similar to the to the Trump versus McNabb battle of the billionaires, this is to get Roger Goodell <laughs> into a hell in a cell against Vince McMahon and he goes, he gets defeated so then he has to stay out of his business, you know? Oh, God. <laughs> well, it would be like then The Rock wins the Super Bowl, greatest quarterback of all time. Oh, well, great. Although he defensive like end in the one time he's <laughs> played a fictional football player, so... Maybe he should play there instead. But uh, no, like I think Harry is completely right. It's a bit of a, it's all a bit up in the air right now. Lots of promises, not much actual detail. Kind of leads you to think that, you know, these days being a loudmouth billionaire, just saying I'm going to do things and never actually doing it seems to be in flavour. So it wouldn't surprise me if it never came to fruition, to be honest. Mm. But I think like you know, there is perhaps, there's certainly a niche in the calendar or a space in the calendar for more football there's basically half the year when there is no football of yeah. any note for people to watch. So if you put on anything that was even, you know, approaching the quality, people will probably watch it. Maybe not, you wouldn't have the same ratings, but you'd get people to watch it. But I think the whole idea of having a shorter NFL game is an intriguing prospect. You look at something like 2020 cricket, uh, like how that's revolutionized the game and it's become the more popular form over traditional test cricket, which is over four days, getting that out one day, getting from three hours down to two hours or perhaps it's getting basically a American football game down from this weird American thing to two hours which is the traditional amount of time taken for most European sports so I don't know how they could do it without advertisers like throwing a hissy fit but if they could get that done that mm-hmm. could be something interesting that could get people's attention I'm just not sure how well the cricket analogies can go over with any American listeners so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they have cricket in America 
That's true, but I'd, I'd also imagine a large portion of our listeners don't fully remember or never got to see the original XFL in its, was it true. like, five weeks of glory? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think they pretty much made it through almost the whole season, kind of. And they had the, the million-dollar game, which was their super... The mm. million-dollar game, that's amazing. Like, that shows how low the stakes were. Yeah. Oh, there's a million dollars on the line. This, yeah, there, there is an entire two seconds of airtime of a Super Bowl <laughs> yeah, on the line. Like, exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, I think, I think Roman's right. This is, this, this is all just very shady mm. and weird at this point. And like... like I've, I've, I've heard this mentioned by a few people like the big thing is if they're to be in any way successful they're going to need to have a couple of names in there and obviously people like Kaepernick aren't going to be in any way involved no. one because of the approach of the league but also he's a bit classier than that to actually go down through. but like the, the kind of ones that you would be able to pick up here would be your like your Johnny Manziels who would be great for the ratings but he can't have them because he said he doesn't want anyone with any kind of kind of any kind of rap sheet on them or anything like this is this is bizarre. Like, there's anything of name value that he could possibly get his hands on is going to have a problem with that person. So I can't imagine that rule is going to stand at all. Or is it just his his kind of coded language for we don't want black thugs, but we're okay if yeah, the white guy has a DUI? Exactly yeah. this one. Exactly that. If you're an arbitrary billionaire, you, well, if you're a billionaire, you can be as arbitrary as you like. It's like, well, you know, we'll make an exception for this. He's a good kid at heart, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, that guy, well, he's bad. So, you know, and if that happens to, you know, correlate with racial feature or ethnicity or anything like that, that's, mm-hmm. that's just, you know, one of those things. Yeah. Like, I think what we'll probably do over the off-season, we'll have a deep dive on this. We'll have a workout of, like, what, what would the franchises that we'd set up be and what kind of people could we attract to come and play for them? <laughs> that could be a good crack uh, to fill up a bit of off-season fodder. But for now, we'll leave the XFL uh, just where it is, kind of an idea that we'll probably never see the light of day. Uh, Arizona have hired their offensive coordinator. They've picked up Mike McCoy. Uh, he's expected to have an awful lot of say in how the offense is run, given that he's sitting underneath it. Wilkes, who's a defensive-minded coach, and said he, we said this last week that they'd be looking for probably a strong enough hand to take that offense is Mike McCoy someone who you look at now and you look at that the previous the previous kind of success issues in, in in other franchises and you say this is someone who I believe in the offensive philosophy of and this is someone that they're going to build from the ground up with or is this a tied them over for a year or two as they gather pieces and then hire their offensive coach of the future afterwards yeah, well, like the thing about McCoy is that I don't think he really he isn't one of these coaches that's associated with a philosophy. He's kind of gone through pretty much all the systems you can imagine. When he started out in the league uh, in Carolina, I believe he ran uh, a West Coast. Uh, in Denver, he ran a West Coast. Sorry, when he started out in Carolina, he ran a West Coast type of offense. But then when he went to Denver and had Tim Tebow, he moved to the read option. He's also done some work with coaches who preferred the Air Coriel type offense, more vertical. So I think the general read of McCoy is that he's, he adapts to the personnel that's available. And right now, like last week we said, we won't really know what Arizona are doing offense until we get their OC. Now they've hired an OC who doesn't really have a philosophy, which then leads to, well, we won't really know what they're going to do until we see what they do at quarterback. That's basically. what confuses so, me. <laughs> we know that David Johnson will be a major part of that offense. I don't think they're going to go out and get Kirk Cousins or someone like that. They might get someone like Alex Smith. They might draft someone. But I think David Johnson will be the emphasis of that team. And that would fit, obviously, quite well with the traditional defensive coach type idea of run the ball, control the time possession. That's yeah. how you win games. So whatever it is, whatever will happen, David Johnson's going to get plenty of yards next year. Yeah, like it'll be interesting. Uh, 
I don't know, like this this obviously, like I said, just kinda of leaves us up in the air about this team. We still don't know. I think by the time we get to the draft with them we'll probably have an idea because depending on what they do there we'll probably inform what well, if they're going for kind of more blocking linemen, if they're going for like what what they choose to do at that point. I I just don't know. Mike McCoy to me is this guy who's like he's a he's a decent coach, but I don't know where you hang your hat on like what he what he does for a team. Yeah, well I mean if you look at Denver this year Aside, even discounting the problems at quarterback, that was a thoroughly dysfunctional offense. And we saw towards the end in San Diego, a guy who was just lost as a head coach. Mm. Well, McCoy certainly has his virtues. Um, thriving under difficult circumstances does not appear to have been one of them. Yeah. So it's a little concerning that he's going into such an unknown situation with so many factors with a guy who's shown that when the going gets tough he's not necessarily always going to be able to rise to the challenge if he doesn't have the talent to work with. Yeah, so we'll see. Like This is this feels more like a holding pattern higher than anything else to me, but we'll have to see where that goes uh, from there. So uh, like one or two injury bits to get through. So Buffalo centre Eric Wood, previous first-round pick and kind of linchpin on that line, has uh, in his post-season physical, they discovered there's a neck injury and a bit of damage, I think, to the vertebrae in his back, and he's been informed that they do not think that it'll be safe for him to continue playing. He's had a second opinion on this, and they had a press conference to announce that uh, he will now be retiring due to this. So uh, it's a big loss for the Buffalo line. Probably provides him more issues to try and deal in an offseason where they're already almost certainly going to be changing quarterback. Uh, but like this, this guy was a very solid contributor and probably one of their maybe one of their six, seven best pieces uh, on the team. So it's quite a loss, isn't it? It's just one of those cases that center isn't the sexy position. But if you have someone who's solid there, and obviously having a relationship with the quarterback is very important for them because obviously you obviously need to snap the ball to them and have the understanding. You have, to, you have to be okay with them touching your balls like 50, yeah, 60 times too. a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the right curvature, you know, on yeah. right there. Uh, optimal curvature. Eric Wood had that, apparently. Uh, but no, like, I think... It's, what are we talking about again? Like, this, it isn't one of those things that will be, like, noticed perhaps a lot outside of Buffalo, but I think for the fans, it's just another one of those situations where with so much uncertainty on the offense, having this added to that means there's another need mm. That means you're not looking at all the other positions. You're not looking at quarterback. You're not looking at wide receiver. You're not fixing the team. Uh, you're having to pick another hole. And for a team that had a good season, where they're hoping to build on that, that that can only be a negative for the fans. And yeah. The coach like. And these are these are both literally and metaphorically big boots to be filling as well. They're going to have to find someone in the first round. Luckily, they've got two first round picks beside each other, but like this is this is a big hole to fill. So we'll see how they work on that in the offseason if they look at free agency or look at the draft. New England's quarterback Tom Brady has had his stitches removed, so he's ready to go. And Rob Gronkowski, while he remains in the concussion protocol, uh, has been out practicing with everyone and everything seems good to go for them for the, for the main big do. Yeah, you know, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you might suggest that because he's in concussion protocol, he doesn't have to do media work. So Bill Belichick can remove the only interesting player on the entire New England like roster from speaking to the media. To an extent. If you were conspiracy theorists. Um, crime and punishment. Uh, oh, this <laughs> is just ridiculous. Baltimore's cornerback Marlon Humphreys has gotten himself into a little bit of hot 
water. So he's got a third degree robbery charge coming against him. So you hear about this and it was like late at night and he was drinking and he had some girls in the car with him. You imagine this story is going a very, very bad direction. And then it turns out what happened was he stole a phone charger from an Uber driver. Now, it has since come out that it wasn't just that he took the the phone charger uh, accidentally. He borrowed the phone charger off the guy. The guy asked for it back and then he said, no, you can't have it back. And like held a fist towards him or something or basically intimidated him into allowing him to leave the car with the phone charger. So like, one, this is incredibly stupid. Like, you are a professional fucking football player. Buy your own fucking phone charger. Uh, Don't threaten random Uber drivers and steal their phone chargers. They need them for their living. Uh, Also, like, he's never getting picked up again because he's getting a terrible customer rating after that, isn't he? Well, you you, you, you just lift. Yeah. (laughs) This is the funny thing. It's like, oh, Do you even lift, bro? Football players, like, you, you let them drive their own cars and get drunk and crash. You put them in an Uber and they end up robbing or sexually harassing the driver like it's just what do you do do teams just have to chaperone like this is so juvenile and like this is actually juvenile this isn't like the media juvenile this is just the act of somebody who is just not very smart about how he carries himself as somebody who has money who has opportunities who yeah as you said he could buy millions of phone charges if he wanted to and he just it's just the the real story here isn't that he stole a phone charger it's that he's a drunken Idiot. No, 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 no. Like, no, no. There is a more important story here as well. The phone charger that he stole doesn't fit his phone. Okay, that's just <laughs> Is that true? That's true. That's that was amazing. Never that's so amazing. He borrowed the phone charger, then got annoyed that it didn't fit his phone, and then stole so it. keep it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if something doesn't work, I want to keep it. That is... Fuck it, that's ridiculous. Oh, God. Marlo, like, get just shit together. Yeah, grow up, man. Grow up. <laughs> Uh, controversy corner uh, 281 concussions were found in the NFL this year that's 6 more than last year which was 275 uh, whether this is an effect of it getting more hard hitting or whether it's just a slightly better diagnosis thing uh, I believe our stats background would say I'm not sure if this would be that significant, significant. Yeah, what's, the, what's the P value on that guys <laughs> well yeah it wouldn't, it's probably it's not that significant I don't think I think it's just one of those cases that they're tracking these. They're not going down. Obviously, the whole point of having all these new rules is that you know players should be more protected, and mm. obviously, be not just that they're getting better care afterwards, but that they're being protected from these concussions in the first place. At least they're being tracked now. So, yeah. if the NFL introduces more rules to that effect, they should be able to empirically verify whether they're working or not. Yeah, that's fair I think enough. That's a plus. Yeah, like <laughs> it's got like I think it's. I like. I would just say it's kind of staying around static, which is fine because I suppose the idea is that like they are they were increasing because everyone is getting bigger and getting faster and hitting harder and stuff. So at least they're not they're not expanding in the number. I suppose is, is at least not yeah. massively. Well, I suppose that the the argument that the NFL would probably like to make, uh, you know, hit me up, Roger, is that with the increased detection, you would expect a much larger rise in the number because the rise has been small. That implies that there is not only an increase in detection, but also a reduction in number. In yeah. No, yeah, now that is obviously a whole heap of bollocks that I just made up. But you know, if you want to do your, well, um, no, no, it's, it's, fair, it's, it's fair because, like, I remember uh, my my partner. She was saying that uh, like they had things where they were bringing in reporting systems into into countries in Africa. So things like the reporting around. Uh, like uh, childcare or like like what they do with babies and stuff, and the, everyone was aghast at an upper end meeting whenever they said uh, we brought in these new reporting protocols so like people can report whenever there's problems and like excellent there's this it's not working at all there's been a huge increase in the amount of things that are happening in the area like it's not it's just that you're aware that they're happening now just no one had a, had an ability to report them beforehand 
So like, like it isn't it isn't made up what you're saying. There is an element of, of you'd expect to see increase with better tracking as well. I mean, yeah. like this is also a terrifyingly high rate of concussions if you think about how many players are actually in the NFL. Yeah, like this is now obviously. I know it's not literally 53 men, but if you assume 53 on Peroso, this is like hovering around 16.5%. Yeah. That's just crazy. That is a lot of concussions. It is, but like if you're going to run 300 pound men into each other at full speed, this is going to happen. Like it's it's something you have to ex- expect. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's more the subconcussive trauma kind of instance. Is that like, like the number of concussive hits versus the subconcussive stuff, which is obviously the line trenches kind of thing mm. you talk about? Like these are just the ones that. KO somebody that that's still a very high rate um, yeah it's a lot so yeah either way mm. not great not great but at least it's not hugely larger number than it was last year which is a slight plus Jays uh, and Extensions chat uh, Seattle Seahawks safety Earl Thomas has talked about potentially holding out next season if he doesn't get a contract extension. This is on the back of the fact that they actually have Earl Thomas and I believe um, Richard Sherman looking for longer-term deals coming out and a question of both whether you will pay them, whether you will pay one of them, whether you will pay neither of them and what you will do in this scenario. So what's your thoughts on this, Fitz? Do you think that this is someone who they will try and stare down or is this a deal that will get done fairly quickly? I think they'll... They, like. They generally talk to people in the last year of their contract. This would indicate that perhaps the initial salvo hasn't been as high as he wanted. Obviously, he's looked at other contracts and set the market over the last four years, such as the one given to Eric Berry, and he's like, I'm due a raise, basically. And it's one of those situations where you know players always have a bit of fluff here about having you know holding out stuff. Very few of them actually go through with it, but Seattle is one of the teams that actually did have that happen with Cam Chancellor, so... Maybe there's a bit more form here. I just think it's one of those situations that, like, when we, given what happened in that Dallas game where he went to the Dallas locker room and mm-hmm. said, come get me, it's the kind of situation where it could easily turn very ugly because he's obviously not someone who holds his tongue if he believes he's been wrong. So yeah. hopefully it's something they can sort out. He's obviously an incredibly talented player, the linchpin of that Seattle defensive scheme, but he's 29, the NFL's unforgiving, so... We'll see how the economics work out for someone who'll be 30 when they're getting that extension. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Lev Bell's also come out and had a quick chat about... Uh, so, obviously, we were saying beforehand that there seemed to be quite a distance between them, a lot of chat about potential uh, landing spots for Lev Bell. He says he doesn't want to play under a franchise tag, might sit out, might retire. Uh, he's now come out at the Pro Bowl with a lot nicer things to say about the relationship with the Steelers and saying that, well, they're not as far apart as they thought they would be. So, it, it seems that he's already softening a little bit on that. We'll surely have more to report during the off-season but that's kind of it's amazing what happens as soon as the players go into a non-drug tested environment isn't it yeah it's bad just, just chills like, yeah, just chills just um, but yeah we'll, we'll come on to that fantastic environment in a bit uh, Carolina so this is the other bits of news from Lenny Carolina's lining up uh, GM candidates uh, this is a slight issue because they are also up for sale at the moment so uh like hiring someone to then sit there to then have to oversee like a change in ownership could be a messy one that makes them a slightly less attractive location right yeah it's one of these weird situations that there's been a lot of rumors over the last fortnight or so about candidates and i when i saw this news i was like like if they're up for sale it makes no sense for you if you're a highly coveted gm candidate to be going out there and getting interviewed because a new owner could come in and decide, I don't like this guy, he's not my guy, I want my guy in the front office. So for me, it's kind of weird. Obviously, there is a there is a open spot there. You do need to do draft analysis, you do need to do all that stuff. So it kind of feels like it, 
really it's for someone who wants to get GM on their CV perhaps but doesn't necessarily would be a bit of a jump for them or but they get or you do it you make sure that you're given a six year contract and then if they want to get rid of you get rid of you but they have to pay a eight million a year for you to not be the GM that would probably reduce the value of the club, though, which is probably not in the best interest of Jerry in, Richards. Like eight million is a drop in the ocean to to like the scale of being an owner of an NFL team. Like, that's how you that's how you end up not being a billionaire with that kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'll tell you, you don't end up rooting a fucking franchise by not having a GM because everyone's terrified of coming to work for you. They need a GM in that building and they need to try and build some things for that Carolina team or else they're going to lose an awful lot more value than $8 million a year. I can think of one team that's managed just fine without a GM. <laughs> on to the Patriots again. Uh, uh, right. <laughs> uh, on the Patriots again. Uh, Tom Brady is now looking to try and get a sports host fired because he called his child a pissant. Uh, apparently this was during a media availability period now that we're into Super Bowl week and uh, Tom had his daughter up on stage with him or at the podium so no so so this is through the documentary that Tom oh, this released oh this is the uh, Facebook Tom versus Time yeah. oh god um, people watched that that's quite interesting I was wondering where this came from and uh, there was one where like there was a scene with his daughter um, was all like daddy daddy I want to go to soccer practice and Tom was like yeah I'm coming that's totally inane just a bit of filler he has kids whatever and uh, then this guy's name escapes me on Fake Boston. news that Tom Brady is not a robot. Well, this is exactly it. This guy, Boston Sports <laughs> Radio. Now, uh, now I, I, you know, I, I don't live in America, but even just from being a fan of the Patriots, I know all about Boston Sports Radio and what a cesspool it is. Mm. Um, and one of the hosts <laughs> said that this was, uh, you know, this was obviously scripted, blah, 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 and then called... Tom Brady's daughter a peasant, which she's five years old, man. Like every five year old's a peasant. Even well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but that was literally his defense. He's like, oh, I don't like any kids. It's fine. But it's like, look, even if you believe this, if you don't like this documentary, even if you believe it's scripted, even if you're just trying to stir up a bit of controversy because you're another shithead on WEI, like whatever, like, don't go after the five year old kid. It was almost like this weird thing is like they didn't want to attack Brady, so they decided that attacking his five year old daughter would be a better. But like so obviously yeah so Brady then went on air because he does a weekly interview with the, the same channel and was like actually do you know what and so cut the interview short and was like I want this guy I'm not dealing with you while you employ this guy because he called my five year old daughter a peasant which isn't unreasonable to be honest with you like I would be fairly irritated if people who are using you know using their access to me to get people to listen to their show were like insulting a literal child like it's pretty bad yeah, I think it's just people are just stuck for stuff to say. I mean, you've got 24-hour rolling sports coverage and there's literally nothing outside of... Cause it's only the, most it's, people manage to do it without insulting a five-year-old. I know, but look, how are you meant to cut through? Because there's nothing but quality news and articles coming out of the Pro Bowl all week long, right? <laughs> how are you going to get picked up on local media? You attack the children. That's it. <laughs> name for himself. Speaking of attacking children, Speaking of John attacking Hayes has them well trained. Yes. <laughs> Sean Payton's got them ready to rumble. Uh, Sean Payton's two kids, two boys, were hired as ball boys for the uh, for the Pro Bowl and decided that they weren't going to be outdone by the strong, muscly men and decided to fight all over the shop. And it led to a series of increasingly hilarious videos of them nearly barreling into like live action and getting murdered by 300-pound men running full force. The only thing we really want to know is how much Sean Payton was paying each of them to target the other. To <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever comes out on top gets a tenor, boys. 
Uh, and also, Brett Favre is getting himself sued over a sports social media app that he was involved in. So uh, currently, he, he helped arrange a lot of investors for this sports app called Score. Uh, and That's score like with, a with a Q. Yeah, score. Score. <laughs> score. Um, they raised a couple of million dollars. He's being sued for sixteen million by some of the investors because uh, obviously all the money be gone now because uh, I don't know. This is the fucking lawsuits were getting to like dick pics. Probably. Yeah, this is the stupidest. <laughs> this is this is just modern America and modern America, modern world, modern Western world, decline of Western civilization in a nutshell. Is that a bunch of total chancers basically put together like an app? In, I say app in inverted commas because I don't even know if this fucking app ever existed. Claim they had 250 million users. Got Brett Favre, right? Claim they had all these stars on it. Got Brett Favre, who, as we know, like Brett Favre using a phone, as Ronan alluded to, does not end well no. ever. Um, got him to come in, show the app to uh, this a capital group called, I've got the name, it's one of those wonderful, like, meaningless investor company groups. Uh, Calais Capital Management, mm. no relation to Calais Campbell, spelled with two L's. And uh, yeah, obviously they lost all their money because it was a stupid fucking investment. But uh, being a stupid fucking investment company who were easily impressed by Brett Favre, that's what they did. And now they're suing them. And like, frankly, I this is like everyone involved in this is kind of an asshole. Like, if you go off and you're dumb enough to invest $16 million without doing any basic fucking research as to whether or not this app exists or functions or has users or the people they're claiming to be on the app is on the app, fuck you. You deserve to lose your money. That's the free market I in would, action. I on would, the other hand, Brett Favre, get your shit together. You don't need the money. You don't need to be shilling for frauds. And the guy who's made the app, fuck off. No, like, I could well understand. Like, I could buy some of those numbers. Like, I could under, I could buy that he has sent 250 million people pictures of his penis. Yeah, that's not what it is. <laughs> sorry, I I that's wrong, sorry, what it does. Wrong. 325 million. Yeah, well, that's, that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> that's a bit of a stretch, because I don't think he can count that high. But, I could imagine him sending his, his junk worldwide like that. Yeah, that's, that's not quite what it was, like. Well, they also it, said... They it, also, sorry, go on. Well, if this lawsuit goes through, I'm sure we can all look forward to Brett talking out for the Jets next season again. Yeah. <laughs> Coming back for one more year now. Yeah. Just needs that sweet, sweet payday. And uh, we will discuss this in, in our review of the excellent Pro Bowl. But uh, I think the world of kicking has been turned on its head with a brand new form of uh, sportsman competition. It is called... Uh, <laughs> I would say this, this is excellent because Harry loved this part as well. Uh, kick tack toe. Kick tack toe. And it should replace the extra point, and I'm kind of leaning towards it replacing field goals. Yeah, well, it's, it's phenomenal, magnificent. It, Fuck it, it can replace overtime. Like you could, you could. So basically, the idea is that you have like a tic tac toe board on the on the uh, uprights, and then people have to like kick to try and get uh, their, their their line and whatnot. But what you could do to make it even more interesting is that like you could do it a little bit like uh, wasn't it Celebrity X's and O's or whatever where where they did that on the on the big screen and it kind of went around randomly and you hit a button to stop it and then that will decide the point value for each of the nine squares will change depending on where it stops so then they have to go for very targeted kicks so like down the middle would always be kind of a, a fairly normal but like if they want to target the upper left hand corner that might get them two points well I think or, that's what defeats the point of getting three in a row but you know they're like, you know what happens at the end of overtime and it's a tie if you never want a tie and I'm serious if you never want a tie again 
hang one of these fuckers over the, and make them have a penalty shootout that's yeah. tic-tac-toe that's also, it would be a brilliant. really really fun penalty shootout as well Well, like, and one one player is allowed to have a, like a net on a giant long stick to try and run around in front of it and block them yeah fuck it why not <laughs> but uh, kick-tac-toe if you haven't seen it go and look at the videos online it is a great crack altogether and uh, on that cheery note we're going to move on to the greatest game that's ever graced a football pitch uh, the NFC versus AFC Pro Bowl NFC and AFC finished in a robbing 23-24 uh, walk-off defensive play by Vaughn Miller, uh, really earning that defensive MVP of the game. Uh, it was 20-3 at one point in this game with uh, the NFC ploughing ahead, but was this the greatest comeback in NFL history? Like We think yes. We think the, the DNA from the Atlanta Falcons seeped into this team and made sure that they were able to let it slip from their grasp once again. Top performances from Delaney Walker, Von Miller, Derek Carr, even Alex Smith had a bit of crack in this game. Uh, there were some special team snafus, but also some very entertaining uh, movement. There's a lot of more free flow, interpretive kind of uh, real, real artistry to this game uh, in certain parts. And also Jarvis Landry solidifying the fact that he's going to get fucking paid uh, if he can hit himself a bit of free agency. So I suppose, Fitz, I'll come to you first on this. Like, how blown was your mind? Very blown. <laughs> it was so blown that I, I, I nearly forgot that the Pro Bowl happened. <laughs> 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 I must have watched the Pro Bowl because I would never miss the Pro Bowl. Of course. <laughs> Oh, it was so mind blowing! I completely, I must have completely forgotten because the first thing I remember at the Pro Bowl is seeing the highlights show up on Twitter. So yeah. it, it must have been so amazing. Like and my analysis, of course, has to be based on the highlights because of that. Because mm, my of course, was of course. So but uh, mm. it was very interesting. It was a great game, brilliant comeback, greatest comeback in NFL history, as you said. I think you know the amount of passion that was shown, particularly on field goals, where they were really trying to stop those point acts. And, yeah points and field goals when they jumped as high as they could mm. it was quite amazing I liked how hard hitting the defences were they were really putting their heart and soul into it yeah and those returns you know those interceptions that went for returns you could really feel the offensive players putting their heart and soul into stopping them in reality the only player who actually really cared about stopping an interception return was Russell Wilson so he did live up to his you know twerp uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, on Harrison Smith's seventy-four yard return, I believe everyone's kind of like, "Nah." You, I, I, I believe on that return, four or five separate players got hands on him and then just didn't even bother to to not even rap, just to tackle. They just went, "Eh, fuck it." This yeah. this would be more fun. Uh, Patrick Peterson played excellently in this at cornerback. Had a couple of nice ones. There was a couple of very fun trick plays as well. There was a there was a lovely funny uh, figure pass by Antonio Brown that was nearly nearly completed and then also simultaneously nearly picked off, uh, which which made a great crack. Really and then there was also uh, which, which you don't see enough of these days is a. Uh, was it uh, seven minutes left in the half deciding to start going on a rugby-style lateral return of an interception? It was, uh, oh, it was, it was stellar stuff. Things that two teams that we'll be talking about a little bit later on could really learn from, I think. Well, I will, I will say this, uh, that we, from Patrick Peterson, who got robbed, of, obviously, of defensive MVP by somebody who, who out Von Miller. Von Miller, phenomenally talented player, generational, absolutely brilliant Total fucking try hard nerd. Yeah. Like he was out there playing defense he, for at least three he snaps. He does wear glasses, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. Like 
yeah, I guess. Mm. Dude, why? Like, yeah. like they put him. Like, oh, you're going up against the guy who doesn't even play right tackle yeah, whatever. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, there's, there was a few ones where you just saw like the guys just had no idea what they were oh, meant to be doing because they're like. playing on the right side instead of the left side and stuff. It was. Uh, it, it, it did kind of feel like Von Miller and Derek Carr, but like. Man, this season was really shit. So let's actually have some fun and score some points. Yeah, wow, amazing time. Yeah, and like you know, all going well. If they get a good result on Sunday, we might be able to see a spot where Tom Brady is deemed good enough to go to the Pro Bowl, and he might get a shot. <laughs> but now, obviously, this is the saddest time of the year because we now have the longest amount of time between now and the next Pro Bowl. So we're gonna have to start our hype already. So who do we think is going to be the breakout player that we did that wasn't there this year that will be there next year? My money's on Swag Kelly, maybe? Swag Kelly? Oh, my God. <laughs> As you know, Swag, Swag Kelly will have left to become the starting quarterback of, like, the Oakland Rough Riders in the XFL. The Oakland Rough Riders, Jesus. Uh, I think we're all hoping for Cleveland's number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield, to be lighting up the Pro Bowl in 2019. Well, he can't. Sorry, I think I think you mean Josh Allen. <laughs> no, no, Baker Mayfield... To be honest, I think I think it, it's irrelevant because they're going to make the Super Bowl and then they're not going to be allowed mm. to play. Oh yeah, running a revolutionary two QB set with Baker Mayfield and Josh yeah. Allen. Be fabulous, first and fourth. Maybe about Chip Kelly to coach them. Oh god! Oh, god. Uh, is there any other things you want to talk about on the Pro Bowl? There was some excellent fuckery from some of the wide receivers trying to uh, catch balls in the. Uh, like, let, let's, let's be blunt. Keenan Allen was stoned off his tits. Yeah, Keenan Allen <laughs> did not look like he was in playing shape. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, like he was. Alex, Alex Smith is not very good at the accuracy game. Oh, sorry, it says the fucking Russell Wilson, yeah? <laughs> it was it was, uh, it was, was a great showing from everyone, I think. Turns out if you place Derek Carr under absolutely no pressure and replace all of his receivers with cardboard targets, he's lethal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Can't go interceptions if there's no one else on the field. But there, there, there was a very, very interesting and exciting finish to the dodgeball game where the NFC had two players to the AFC's one at the tail end. Which I might say, actually, if you want to slate Alex Smith for anything, Alex Smith lasted one and a half seconds in dodgeball. Not good. <laughs> he just didn't even see the ball coming for him at the start. Uh, there was a lot of fuckery, though. So I think, like, if we want to talk questionable calls about catches, what's not a catch, etc., that happened in the dodgeball where there was a catch which would have eliminated but due to the regulations of Pro Bowl dodgeball if you both catch the opponent's ball but drop your own that counts as a drop and you are out so that was what uh, evened up the score towards the tail end it was, it was, it was a nail biter finish and it was, uh, it was that that won for the AFC and I might point out uh, the entirety because they won the skills competition and the main game and I believe I got a solo pick on the AFC for this yeah the NFC blew a 3-1 lead and a 23 lead so yeah, yeah. Uh, also, to be, to be fair, like the final, the final showdown <laughs> and the Dodgeball was uh, Jarvis Landry versus Graham Gano, which is something of a mismatch. Yes, it was. It was a wide receiver versus a kicker, and I believe a defensive line or sorry, an offensive yeah. lineman. And, like fair play to Graham Gano for going the distance, but oof. yeah, it was didn't uh, like those odds. It was not a good show. So, uh, best game is over. We've only got kind of one okay game to to go. We'll focus on that in a minute. But first, we're going to take some questions from you, the listener. Okay, so our first question this week comes in from Graham, and he says, Would another Patriots victory be bad for the league? With the possibility of a rival league bringing some unknown to the sport, could the Patriots winning it make the Super Bowl feel a bit samey and turn some people off from it? I think we've seen this already from some of the coverage that we get, that people 
kind of while it's exciting and while they are a good team while they should be there people are used to covering the Patriots the Patriots are also notoriously kind of keep their cards close to their chest when it comes to uh, press conferences and stuff like that you're not getting a huge amount of surprise or character out of Bill Belichick teams uh, in these spots so there is a bit of sameness like we said earlier in the, in the reference like like there, there are local sports writers going after children to try and find stuff to write in this week like it's it's not great I think fans are getting a little bit tired of it, uh, but like we said, while it can get boring, these are like an incredible dynasty. This is probably the best quarterback to play the game that we've seen so far. Like there is an element of we're looking at the best window of any group ever, and you have to appreciate it. But it is like I can say it as as someone whose team plays the AFC, it can get a bit fucking boring watching it again and again. Yeah, fucking boring. You beating us every time you play it. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, you need a villain. You need the arrogant jock to be brought down low to bring some drama. Like if you got maybe two... the XFL, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I mean, look, who's the heel? You know, like people love to hate the Pats, and if you don't have the Pats being good, that disappears. And I think that as much as people are like, oh, it's boring watching the Pats win again, there are so many people who are so fucking mad that the Pats keep winning that I think mm. on the net there are so many people who will tune in. Hoping to watch New England lose. Yeah, that's and, like, like that's 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 counterpoint. The Dallas Cowboys, everyone loves hating them, and they lose all the time, and that's way more entertaining. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. So, the NFC is better by the fuck because yeah, of that. Like I don't, I don't need a keep to leave to be in the Super Bowl to enjoy seeing him lose. Yeah, I, 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 I would say like. The, the, the kind of media, the lack of things to talk about probably isn't helped by the fact if Carson Wentz was playing, I'm sure this wouldn't be as, as, as obvious. But with Nick Foles on the other side, you missed like the biggest component of having someone to bounce off against Tom Brady. Nobody's going to compare Tom Brady and Nick Foles, except in terms of how uncomparable they are. So it kind of like the Eagles. Really well, we, we, we've got, we've got the one wrong. thing that we get of like the these are the owners of the first and second best touchdown interception ratio in a playoff game or whatever, or, or of all time in a single game. This is true. That like that's the extent of it. That's all you get out of it. You're like it's yeah. It's, I don't know what it is about it. It's just it it doesn't it doesn't exactly excite for the week. I think it's going to be a great game, but it, it doesn't capture the imagination. Like if this was Bortles versus. Whence it would be something completely different, wouldn't it? I mean, like if you maybe go on Bortles versus Falls, like I mean, Wentz is no. But we're just talking optimum here of like Bortles. They win that general game, and Wentz isn't injured. So then you've got these two kind of like Wentz. Well, <coughs> Wentz is pretty categorically better than Bortles, so That's I don't true. know if the analogy necessarily holds. But so kind of, but we wish very much that the Patriots would turn into the Cowboys. No, after you, Tom Brady you retires, that. the Patriots. <laughs> Like the Patriots were for a long time before Brady came along, were the Cowboys, except without any of the success. Like they just stank. Yeah, they return to their natural place in the mm. universe. Yeah, but I think like just 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 to well, close off, the Seahawks never return to their natural place. It's fucking Oklahoma City, yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah, like I think I think there is there is like this is probably one of the elements that was playing into the idea of like this XFL stuff and that and that it's a bit samey and all that kind of jazz thing is because it's changing because like as much as he'll say he wants to play till he's 50 years old Tom Brady is old Bill Belichick is old they will be retiring there will be a changing of the guard there are young people coming in like it is it is something that will turn around it's an unprecedented run that we see from this team over the last 15-16 years uh, and it's not 
a run that I would expect to be seeing from any other team anytime soon either. So I, do, I think it is a bit samey, but I don't think it's going to be the, the death of a league or anything it'll, like that. It'll be better in retrospect, but right while we're living through it, it's a bit dull. Yeah, it is. Carl, <clears throat> sorry, I'm sorry. How is it dull? Like, we keep spotting teams massive leads in the Super Bowl. Like, come on, we're bringing the drama. Yeah. To be fair, that is the one thing the Patriots have done. They've made Super Bowls pretty exciting. So if they manage to do that, we'll be okay. We're willing to accept it. We're not happy about it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this one comes in from Key and he says, Would a Philly victory be bad for Philadelphia considering the fans' reputation uh, for excess celebration? And we actually have another question in about them about how much grease would be required to keep them off the lampposts. So I think we'll kind of roll this into one question. No, I think it'll be great. Uh, like... You need construction jobs in America. This is one way to ensure them because they will tear that city to the fucking ground. If Donald Trump taking credit for all the construction jobs has been created by the Super Bowl riots. Look, if Philly lose, the fans are also going to riot. Like, I, I, I don't see how this makes a difference. Yeah, it's not going to go great either way. The only thing is, I think, which, which will go worse if they win or if they lose, given that they're going to be down in Minnesota with a load of pissed off Vikings fans? I think if they lose... It will be worse in Minnesota, but I think if they win, the actual city of Philadelphia will burn to the ground. Yeah. So it's really whether or not we want to sacrifice Minneapolis or Philadelphia. I think I think you probably need buildings in Minnesota more given it's the cold. weather. Yeah. So probably more important that you don't destroy that as much. Uh, in terms of the amount of grease required, I like maybe it would be more effective in the stadium to just spray the fans in grease Ooh, before yeah, they go outside. And then you can also like you can get them out of the stadium quicker. <laughs> get those airplane emergency ramps like yeah. pushed them out of the stadium. That's it. That's it. Um, but yeah, like I think uh, no, I think it'll be good for Philadelphia. But I do think that they will straight up destroy at least one of these towns. Uh, yeah, they will. They will do to the city what Bills fans do to uh, pop up furniture. Uh, next one in from Emmett he says uh, with the XFL coming in what would our XFL nicknames be so this came from a if, if you don't remember the XFL you were able to put nicknames on the back of your shirts and said so I believe the, the most famous one is uh, he hate me he hate me Rod Smart what a man yeah so I don't know what would, what would it be like I think it depends on the gimmick like I think the thing is you have to spill it off of he hate me I don't yeah. think there's any valid apps that isn't a spin off of he hate me so it's like how do you make that work with what your gimmick is going to be so say it's like oh I really hate you know TV shows where they cover uh, popular songs in a mm-hmm. high school setting so I'd be he hate glee okay what if you, you got drafted as a wide receiver like really stringy and stuff like that spend the off season packing on pounds and then when you get into the stadium or when you get into the actual games he hates me that's that's uh, Jared Lorenzo's nickname you can't use that that's, that's, that's Jared Lorenzo bro Jared Lorenzo is a perfect person to get into this league Jared Lorenzo's already tweeted at Vincent Mann asking him if he can yeah very good very good so uh, he, he ate me might be real yeah that, 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 that could well be the be the case um, I think I think this is an interesting one that we could also come back to whenever we're doing our off-season like planning of a franchise each of like who we're going to draft, what our theme is going to be, what our mascots will be, and then uh, maybe we'll if you're sponsored by like a logging company and you could be he hates tree. That's true. That could work. That could work. Uh, you hate trees in a logging company. You need trees to make business. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> do, do, does the, the sentence? Does the sentence does... he hates me make sense, Roman? <laughs> None of this makes sense. It's not fucking excessive. Lactose intolerant long snapper called he hate Brie. <laughs> What's he long snapper? I don't know. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But we'll come up. We'll come up with some. I think. I think. I think. Once we once we start looking into our franchises, we'll come up with a few more, and we'll try and nickname our players, and we'll tie the nicknames into the into the people who will be playing on our teams. Uh, so we'll have to draft. We'll have to pick a couple of like uh, like signees for our new expansion franchises as well. Uh, well if Gronk's in, he can uh, go into his the fact that he always gets shut down by the one particular safety. He can be hate Berry. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so great. Well, these are all terrible. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of them. I decided to stop this before we get our rhyming dictionaries out. Um, I got one thing over me. We got a we got a final. Actually, this one's about the XFL as well. So uh, obviously, a lot of the chat was about it getting kind of improving, shortening the game, doing what fans want. Uh, so it says if you can change one rule to improve American football for the XFL, what would it be? Like obviously, the improved football one I would always take would be the getting rid of the stupid fumbling through the end zone, uh, swapping thingy. But that's not an XFL specific one. Uh, I would probably for the XFL allow Legion of Doom the wrestling uh, tag team style uh, American football shoulder pads in so you can have your spiked pads. Uh, I think that would be a good one. That is extremely Well no because think... no, they can look like they're made of steel but they're actually made of like uh, like you know pew rubberized stuff that you put in on a, on a, the ground in playgrounds so that like it, it's bouncy and it softens the blow rather than hurts it but it looks really tough. What was that incredibly dangerous play that they had in the old XFL? Oh, it's, the, it's oh the, it, the the scramble for the ball. Yeah, so 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 rather than kick off or anything, it's that they just put the ball in the middle and everyone just they, the fastest player from either team just runs at it and they and collide. So I think a guy broke his leg on the first, or sh- first ever yeah. one. Yeah. So we should do that, but it should be the owners who do that each game. <laughs> mm, I like. I that, feel like too. some teams would have an advantage over others. Yeah. Yeah. Improve on. I mean. It depends what we're trying to achieve here, really. I mean, if you want an actual good rule change, then I think you'd probably have to, oh, I don't know, clean up something to do with forwards motion going out of bounds and stopping the clock. But nobody cares about that because it's really boring. Um, but they will need to sort that if they want to do the two hours. Well, I mean, they'll well, just remove the stock climate sideways, yeah. sideways and lateral motion versus forwards motion yeah. to prevent the clock run. Something like that. Uh, what I think is that it has every incomplete pass to the light bulb. Oh, that could be really fun. Mm. Or you get like an extra point if they set up a table in the end zone and then you could crack the table while scoring your touchdown. Well, this is the Bills are going to join the <laughs> XFL yeah. now. Because like, <laughs> I, I was thinking, because this will also help a lot of things the XFL have said if they want it to be like quicker and more fan enjoyable and stuff. They only have a single referee, so there's no discussion needs to happen. So players can distract the referee while other <laughs> ones like use steel chairs and stuff behind their back. Fans just throwing chairs. Yeah. Oh my God. That'd be great. Yeah, well, blocking field goals would be a lot more fun if ladders were involved. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You can now pick another player off on your shoulders to like help him make a catch or block a kick or whatever. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, so like I think, I think there's plenty that we can do on it. Uh, yeah, there's loads that we can do to improve the game if we want to go that way. So uh, we, we've just got another question that came in from our old friend uh, Kian there. Very good. What's it? Uh, oh, it says what, this is this is an excellent question uh, because it's wrong in every conceivable facet. It says, what is a football movement? So firstly, it's a football move. And secondly, it's not in the rules anymore. So congratulations, Kian. That is the worst question we've received this year. Kneeling for the anthem. That's a movement in football. <laughs> uh, that was as bad as some of my ate me puns. <laughs> yeah, uh, also, like, Kian, it's, it's Super Bowl week. What have you been watching all season? Uh, I think he said that he had started watching The Crown. That would explain. <laughs> that would explain a lot. But yeah, so we will move on and have a look at this superb owl. 
Okay, so obviously the big game is coming up now. We have New England at Philadelphia uh, playing down in Minnesota this Sunday for the whole shebang. Uh, this is going to be a big one. We're going to start out, I suppose, initially with uh, who our picks for the teams are, and then we'll start looking through this kind of bit by bit. So, Ronan, you are going for... New England. Okay. Harry? Uh, I have to go for New England, yeah, but uh, it's going to be close. Fair enough. I'm going to go for Philly, uh, just for why the fuck not. Uh, But yeah, no, it should be a very interesting game. So, uh, New England are the home team uh, in this one. They have elected. Now, this is this is the one thing that might swing me over to uh, to New England. They have opted to wear the white jerseys, mm-hmm. which has a very high success rate. Um, yeah, as white things tend to do in America. Yeah, it seems to. Hi-yo. Uh, Justin Timberlake is playing the halftime show, which I'm very excited about. Uh, should be a good crack. Like I said, I hope he has his own uh, nipple patches this time. Yeah, that'll be phenomenal. He just pops on it. Actually, yeah, like, not even the little no, no, just, 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 just like the pockets on his shirt flop down. Move, like. uh, that'll be great. Uh, for for all the listeners at home, we are doing a very, very weird looking kind of. Yeah, whoop, whoop, yeah whoop, remind, whoop. reminding it out how it would go. Yeah. Um, so obviously, this is. This is going to be an interesting game. This is not necessarily the team that Philadelphia wanted to be bringing into here. They are obviously Sands, their starting quarterback, but it should be interesting. They've gotten some success over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're expecting Philly attack to be based on this play action and kind of leaning heavily on the run, given the production that they got out of JHI and uh, the fact that they're going to have uh, Legarrette Blunt returning with them to try and provide a little bit more of a... Uh, bruiser to them and a little bit of pass catching as well so this is a New England defence that we have seen on occasion be weak downfield it's allowed a lot of coverage. like even in the game when they were playing Jacksonville rather than get great success out of their corners what they did was they counteracted that by putting more pressure on the passer making sure that it was more restricted he didn't have the time to go through his reads is this a scenario where we think Philly, who got production out of their like their kind of deep ball game in their game against the Vikings, do we think they'll be able to capitalize on this in this scenario, or is this something that New England know they want to try and force them into that box? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Like, because Foles plays like he played uh, in the championship game. It's very different from how Foles has played in other games this season. But you have to presume that New England will be prepared for Foles at his best. Um, I think what's going to be an underrated thing here is the potential return of Dietrich Weiss Jr., uh, which will give a little bit of an extra bite to a New England pass rush that has been sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Um, but I, I think there is a key element. Like somebody like Foles is not somebody you want to give time to go through the reads because you know he, he has his limitations. And what happened in the Vikings was the Vikings struggled to get pressure and he had enough time to... Because this thing, no matter how good a corner is, they can't cover anybody, somebody forever. He was able to sort of have enough time to exploit errors and, and mismatches and, and flaws in the secondary play. New England can't afford to do it because, yeah, New England's corners have come on quite a bit this season, but they're still prone to giving up plays that they really shouldn't give up, um, particularly Malcolm Butler this year, unfortunately. Mm. So, yeah, I, I agree that like, if New England can keep Foles under pressure and make him try and like get the ball out of his hands quickly... That's a problem because Nick Foles, like anybody you're doing with a mediocre quarterback, you're often like, well, we want them to get the balls out of their hands quickly. That's not necessarily the case with a guy like Foles, who he has seen, has got a nice deep ball, who he's seen, can exploit defensive errors when they come down, when guys are being asked to cover too long. It's going to be a huge amount about making him uncomfortable, making him stare down receivers, making him lock in on that first read and not giving him the time to progress through it. Um, because that's 
where he's going to struggle significantly more mm-hmm. in an offense that has... Um, you go through it, he's got time. A lot of the shorter routes they play are kind of safety-evolved things when they have enough time to see that the play isn't isn't really developing. So, yeah, I think the pass rush is going to be very, very important for New England. It's going to have to be better than the Vikings was, or else Foles is going to be able to exploit problems downfield. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's all about that, right? Like, the New England defense whatever about their talent level we know they're extremely well coached obviously with Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia there's no real question over that I think for Philadelphia one of the interesting things is that when they get into the playoffs over the last few games we have seen Nick Foles like basically relying a lot on misdirection like this run pass option they've leaned on this incredibly heavily it's something that they perhaps inherited from when Chip Kelly had success with Nick Foles like Nick Foles if you know what he's doing is very beatable. He's very easy to read. He's very easy to basically take away what he has. So when Philadelphia is creating their game plan and had success in the playoffs, it's been around the idea of making sure that people don't know what's happening. And of course, that's why the run game getting going in those first, in those playoff games has been so important. With JHI going both from the backfield, uh, also run pass options, and uh, and the screen game is actually pretty effective as well. That means you have to respect the run pass option that means you have to respect the play action and for New England we know that New England are willing or at least the, the theory behind New England's defense Ben don't break don't give up the big plays make Nick Foles go the whole way down the field and to a certain extent that basically means they're playing him as if he was that probably means they're playing him as if he was Blake Bortles we trust that we can beat Blake Bortles over the course of the game as long as we don't give him easy connect connections off the play action, off misdirection, and certainly don't give him any bombs downfield like he got against Minnesota. Like if you have players down the field who are covered well, Nick Foles is not someone who is A, capable of getting to them, or B, willing to do so. So I think for New England, it's all about boxing him in, making him conservative, and then trusting that your defense, which has become incredibly effective over this, over like basically from early on the season onwards, I just you know even though teams can walk down the field, get yards against them, they don't get they don't get touchdowns, they don't get scores, and that's what matters in the game of football. Yeah, but when you look at something like that, and you flip it around, and you look at how this New England offense is going to work against the Philadelphia defense, they have especially over the last two games gotten an awful lot of production out of their front seven. They've got a rolling rotation they can bring on and out to make sure that they've got fresh legs there. They can bring the pressure with four and drop men back, and they show that they've got the ability to play on man if needs be to try and disrupt. Like that is the kind of stuff that Jacksonville found success in whenever they were playing New England two weeks ago. Now, the difference will be that they'll be able to hopefully rotate enough to keep themselves with fresh legs in that scenario. And if they can get that kind of pressure on Tom, like like we said, if it wasn't for adjustments and slowing down, like if if almost anything goes right for them in the in the fourth quarter, that Jacksonville team could well have just held out on that type of thing, on that type of game plan. Surely that, now, I, I, I fully expect Belichick and that to be able to scheme and plan for how that was exploited, but surely that gives you a bit of a blueprint going into this game for going, right, we need to get after him with four. We need to make sure that we've got our men pressed up to slow his like escape routes. Like, outside of the, who the fuck are we going to put on Gronk to make sure Gronk's not there, like, it's a pretty obvious game plan to come out with at the start and see how that works, No. It's definitely the game plan. It's definitely the thing. But I suppose the one problem is, is that getting it to be effective against Tom Brady, even though it is probably the only way to actually be effective, is so hard. We all know that Tom Brady is has one of the best 
like pocket presence is in the league. He knows when going to get rid of it, and he's willing to get rid of it quick and efficiently, no matter what the situation. So it takes a truly outstanding defensive line like Jacksonville and potentially like Philly. We don't really know Philly. They've been a bit up and down. They have the depth, but do they have the superstars? Can they get enough pressure to take Tom Brady off his centre and disrupt him? Elite fronts can do that. I think the big question is, do we believe Philly's front is that elite? Is that good? Or is it really just Fletcher Cox who can really live up to that type of tag? And I suppose one other issue is that we know that, to a certain extent, New England's plan probably reflected around the fact that you know, Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bowie are also top corners. There are questions over that secondary, and maybe you'll see New England push Brandon Cooks a bit further upfield rather than settling for those 10-yard gains against soft coverage that was kind of a staple in that Jacksonville game as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's also worth noting in that that Philly have tended to play more zone than man this season. And I mean, I think it's a bit overblown, but there is an element of, you know, if you want to neutralise a guy like Brandon Cooks, you need to be able to play him one-on-one, man-to-man. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how Philly adapt for that, particularly as Rowan says, if he starts go- or Hogan starts going down on the fly routes, uh, seam routes, how they're able to, to deal with that and what, the, what Philly's game plan is, because they could leave themselves quite ex- exposed otherwise. And like for New England, it's going to be, I think there is going to be a lot initially uh, of, of, of the kind of short passing kind of stuff as, as they feel out where Philly's pass rushes at. Um, and it's going to be a huge amount of it. It's going to be, can they find the mismatches to exploit? Can they get Gronk on one with a linebacker? Can they get Amandola underneath in zone coverage? Can they get Cooks against uh, cover three down the field? That's where it's going to be settled, basically. It really is going to come down to, like I think you said, is Philly's front seven as good as we think it might be, but don't know if it is. And that's... Mm. That's the key question. I mean, it's really stupid. It's like, how do you beat Tom Brady? Oh, you get pressure up the middle and with four while letting everybody else to come. It's like, you play good football, like really good football. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the consistency and level required and dragging that through the game. And, and there's another thing, despite the rotation and the depth and so on, uh, that's going to be interesting to see if, if Philly can maintain that throughout the game. There's a big hullabaloo now about it. Like, we, have, we flagged it last week. They have enough people to rotate so that they won't get tired. That's gonna, if that is true and they do have that, and their defence isn't on the field for long enough to get them knackered, that could be huge if it yeah. comes down to crunch in the fourth quarter. Yeah, like the, and the, the big one, like I said, whenever I look at that game against Jacksonville and I look at it as a potential blueprint type thing, like the major difference is I would definitely... Now, I know we don't rate him any, like particularly highly, but I would definitely expect this Philadelphia attack with its two running backs, with its wide receivers outside who I think... I go with their with their with the performance they've had in the last two weeks from Nick Foles. I would definitely rate their potential to score in the fourth quarter much higher than I rated Jacksonville's potential to score in that fourth not quarter. Not saying a huge amount. Though. It's not saying a huge amount, but it is that scenario of like this is a team that's shown it's able to score. If it can get itself established, New England has shown itself a team that's willing to give up points and then adjust to try and fix it afterwards. Like this is this is a much better team that. If, if the scenario presents itself like it did in the Jacksonville game for them to have to adjust to what New England have adjusted to and they need to get a couple of first downs or get a score at the tail end I have a lot more faith in them being able to do it than I did with that Blake Bortles kind of fourth quarter collapse to, to, mm. to, to get going in. so if they can keep it close towards the tail end I would I would think that they've got a good chance especially if the rotation marks but I think I think that's the big difference here of like if we, even if we put the, the Jacksonville team 
uh, a bit ahead on defense, I would put Philadelphia, especially what we saw the last two weeks, significantly ahead. And they put up 35 points on a much better defense than this than this New England defense last, or two weeks ago. Like we underplay it because they didn't play to their top ability. Shot with the bed. That was, but that was still that's still top corners yep. that he's going against. That's still a great pass rush that they were going right. against. So, so even though I don't think Bowles is probably the best deep passer, I still expect that Doug Pedersen will wind up a few bombs to Alshon Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey is the kind of wide receiver, even if he's not getting the best service or best accuracy, can still physically dominate another corner, particularly with someone like Malcolm Butler, who's a bit shorter. Uh, uh, well, Stefan Gilmore maybe could match up a bit better there. I think to beat, to win this game, they need to dominate, but they also need to let Foles do some things which he hasn't really looked good at, except for in that Minnesota game. Is that Minnesota game just a blip, or is it something where... Like if Foles is given, if he can misdirect him, can he throw it downfield and can he get touchdowns on long plays? That would be the difference, I think, uh, between kind of the boring Philly that we've kind of seen in the first playoff game versus the Philly we saw against Minnesota. That could be the difference, in my opinion. Yeah. Final losses. If there's one matchup or anything you want to look at, or like any one person or spot you want to focus in on that people should keep an eye out on Sunday night, what would you say it would be? No, uh, I think what's going to be important is to watch New England's pass rush and Philly's pass, basically both pass rushes. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be absolutely critical. We know these are two teams who are perfectly happy to start, stop the run, mm-hmm. um, but it's right, can they do that and be effective otherwise? Can. Um, Philly make Brady feel the heat make it difficult for him to climb and slide around in the pocket and similarly can New England force Foles to make quick rush decisions uh, I think that's going to be the, the critical uh, aspect in this game yeah what about yourself Fitz yeah like I, like I would focus in on like the best person on that front in terms of pass rush we know is Fletcher Cox New England to a certain extent nullified Jacksonville's best type of player in that sense Calais Campbell he didn't really have the production he'd had all season and New England seemed to at least get rid of him to a certain extent. If they can nullify Fletcher Cox, I would give New England a massive advantage in this game. So I'd keep an eye on him, see how he's doing, see if he looks fit uh, and see how much they're willing to rotate him if he's not getting production. Yeah. No, I think I think, I think schematically what they do with Gronkowski is going to decide of like, do they have to dedicate a flyover safety to sit on top of whoever is on top of him the whole time because that's going to mean that like this is this is a multi-headed running attack that we've seen that we don't know who's going to be getting the ball each time of if they have to dedicate a safety to just coverage on a tight end then that means they can't bring them in to to provide run support which means it's all of a sudden they're they're available to have a massive day for Rex Burkett Uh, and to be fair this is a great matching coach up like I think Doug Pedersen and Jim Schwartz have probably been two of the best coaches outside of New England pretty much well universally believed um, so if anyone could do it this season it should be two guys who are riding high and believe that they can overcome anything they've lost the left tackle they've lost the quarterback they've lost defensive players yet they're still in the Super Bowl you can believe that they believe that they can win this game no of course 100% uh, so I suppose we'll go to uh, our predictions for the game so Fitz what is your score 21-24 New England okay All right. I think like yeah, there might be a little higher scoring than we think it'll be. I think this might be something like thirty to twenty-one New England, thirty to twenty-four. No, thirty to twenty-four. It'd be one score game. Thirty mm. to twenty-four. Yeah, I am going to go with uh, thirty-one to no thirty-one to twenty-seven because then they can't just kick the field goal for overtime. Thirty-one to twenty-seven to the Eagles. 
and it's going to be a defensive play that finishes off New England are going to be driving down everyone's going to think they're coming back again from whatever 14 points down or 13 points down and uh, it's going to be Big surprise, big surprise. Danny Amendola's going to get the game-winning touchdown. Mm. That's my call. But yeah, no, it should be, should be, should be a good one. So, uh, any other cracking yourselves for this week, lads? Nope, just uh, console Super Bowl prep, take some time off work, get mm. some stuff together, get my plans in order. I don't know. Excellent. Nothing really planned. Like, that's going to take up a whole weekend if we're honest with ourselves. Like, yeah. It's a big commitment. No, well, what is yourself, Ron? What's the crack? Yeah, not too much. Up until the Super Bowl coming down. Good stuff. Well, yeah, coming down to you boys. Yeah. Uh, Probably on the Saturday or Sunday. I haven't decided. Yeah. Uh, We've got Six Nations starting on the Saturday. Got a few scoops. Yeah. Yeah. So. Depends what depends what this crack is, but I'll be down this weekend for the Super Bowl at least anyway. Yeah, I think we might have a we might have another Corkonian coming up as well, but only for one day because he has a cat to look after, so can't be gone for that long. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, it should be a good crack. I'll be breaking out the deep fryer for it, so uh, we will have uh, all of the chicken wings and all of the non-functioning arteries afterwards so it'll be good uh, should be a good crack uh, I've, yeah I've got nothing else planned for the week I've gotten a little bit excited though so I've got a I was looking at we're going to go to the cinema so there's one or two films I want to see and uh, I can now pre-book my tickets for Black Panther so uh, looking forward to seeing that next week so that should be good fun uh, it's good. got my favourite current director and uh, actor in it so Coogler is directing and Michael B. Jordan is uh playing the bad guy spot on that's, so I suppose uh, we'll wrap up with that as always guys send in questions Facebook Twitter well we never really check the Twitter uh, we should probably start doing that uh, yeah yeah the, the perfect time to do that is the off season yeah I think <laughs> maybe we should start using that yeah, at some we'll point probably start actually season, doing that stuff yeah, um, leave us messages on Pornhub uh, put a message in a bottle throw it into the ocean and it might land to us one day yeah. uh, or it might just or just write a really scary message throw it into the ocean and then like wait for someone else to find it and just get a show great outside of that <laughs> yeah, nothing else for myself so, so it's uh, bye for myself bye from Harry bye bye from Rowan bye it's been all four quarters thanks very much for listening and we will catch you after the Super Bowl for a very drunken following morning podcast <laughs> <laughs>